0: So, the more you scratch at the surface of woke or the party, the more you begin to understand how completely gamed so much of this is. And really start to understand one of the purposes of woke is to hide the utter gaming of the system. And today, or at least in this episode, I want to focus down on the economy and very specific to that owning a home during the great resets. Today is the day the Lord has made, and this is the time through which God has decided we shall live. And we're living in a time that is, in fact, the Great Reset, which began in March of 2020. And very specific to this, the more that I dig into the Great Reset, the more I begin to understand wokeism and why corporate entities are pushing wokeism. Because with one hand, the party is utterly destroying the American economy. And on the other hand, what they're intending to build isn't even communism. It's not even the China model. What they intend to build is a completely irrational economy built on irrational ideas And so much of this ties back to so many of the activities of the party. I'm just ashamed that I haven't seen it now. And think of this. The prepping for this moment has been so remarkably brilliant. When Common Core was the rage before Bill Gates admitted that failed, one of the things they did is they had kids form opinions on things but with no fact. So they would read a paragraph or two about two people's feelings. So what's your opinion about what, what should happen? No, no, you don't have opinions at that point. You also have feelings. You have no context, no background, no statistics. You have feelings, but they were having people express feelings as opinions. Now you can have a guess. You can have a belief. Um, you can have an inkling. But you can't have an opinion on something that's a solid opinion unless you have some form of fact or benchmark against which to measure that. Then that's, that's very in the weeds. But remember as well that with Common Core they taught kids to guess. That was one of the lessons. Guess what this? Guess what eleven plus eleven is. And if a kid wrote twenty two, they they could get a wrong mark. No, it's no, it's guess. You answered it. Or particularly if the kids showed their work. Oh, I just put one plus one and one plus one, and that's 22. No, no, they said guess. And got, who got to decide if it was a good guess or a bad guess? The teacher. So it's taking something that is objectively rational, measurable, testable, falsifiable, mathematics, and shoving it over into making it a soft science. And science has been utterly softened now for years. And this is the last sort of academic foundation at which the the leftists and the, the globalists need to attack the United States. That happened at, at Evergreen State College, which is now Evergreen College, which is an it's an utterly utterly sad place. Um, and you will remember that when the student seized control of the college and this ridiculous so-called president of the college allowed them to hold him hostage. And he asked to go to the bathroom, and they said no. What was his name? George Bridges, I think it was his name. That they were attacking the science department because it wasn't teaching racism is good if it's against white people. And Brett Weinstein, who's now you know very famous because Fox News you know told a story, and he's got an excellent podcast. He and his brother great podcast together, Dark Horse. That they were saying we need to attack the sciences. Now, this is all about taking things that are rational and causing them to be irrational. Because if you are representing something as fact, and you are the determiner of what's right or wrong, you are never wrong. What do we say about the party? The party can never be wrong. And this goes part and parcel, obviously, with erasing God from not just the common, you know, the town square. But erasing God from any form of respectability, at least in the eyes of people um, who are hypnotized by the left, or, or or erasing the ability of of good Christians who serve in government. Right? That's 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 part and parcel of this. But when we get down to economics, this really answers a lot of questions for me because I've been really thinking about the ESG score. This is environment, social justice, and governance. And what it does is it replaces something utterly rational. A profit and loss statement is utterly rational. You pick it up, you look at it. If you're good at finances, you can tell the health of a company. You know, for all Mitt Romney's lack of Mitt Romney, in other words, there is no such thing as Mitt Romney, There's a series of positions that a guy named Mitt Romney takes when he finds it convenient for himself. He has no backbone, no governing principles whatsoever, other than, hey, what's going to make Mitt Romney president or the highest office I can hold, which is going to be senator ever. But you say that about Romney, but as a businessman, Romney is incredibly sharp. So a guy like Mitt Romney, when he was at this, uh, he was at a veteran's home. And he said, hey, what's your number one need here? And they said, milk. Our guys need milk. They need calcium. You're not getting it? No. And, and and Mitt went and he said, let me see your books. And he went and pulled out their financial books for like four years. And it took him a couple of hours to read through it. And he came out and all of a sudden milk started showing up. Because he read their books. These guys are solid. Likewise, people who are really great at finance, if you go to a VC meeting, a venture capital meeting, and you're pitching a company, they know that your your finances, your financial sheets are projections. They know that if you're pre-revenue. They're going to look at your financial projections and say, hey, these guys are rational or not. They're trying to game us or not. This is based on solid assumptions or not. It is even when you are modeling a company, it's a rational thing. The value of a home is a rational thing to some degree. I mean, there's some opinion involved in it. We talked last week with Zach Abraham. Bulwark Capital, uh, Bulwark Capital, about the irrationality now of the stock market, because the stock market is utterly controlled by the people who control the money supply. That they can inject money whenever they want. And, and it's not, they don't inject money, they conjure it. They make it up. They invent it. It's like a magician's trick. There was no money. They rub their hands together or reach into a top hat and boom, now you have money. But it's not money. But they use it to buy real assets and then they sell it to people and then take their real money in exchange for their fake money. That's the stock market. But the ESG score, the Employment Security and Governance Scoring System, it absolutely makes irrational what is a rational decision. I'm going to invest in a company. What are the fundamentals? What's its growth rate? What's its cost of sales? You know, what's its cost to produce the product? What are the employment costs? What overhead does it have? Does it have a pension thing it has to deal with? Is it a unionized uh, workforce? Does it have any significant intellectual property protections? Um, Does it have, you know, is it, is it dependent upon one big customer or their multifaceted customers? Does it have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C when markets change? Is it diversifying? It's all these things that you would look at at the fundamentals of a company. The same thing that Warren Buffett would look at rationally, rationally. But what the, what the party wants to do is they want to change access to the capital markets To people who are not rational, to a system that's not rational. It's oligarchical or oligarch. It's an oligarchy. It's oligarchical. That's a made up word. And I like it. Oligarchical. Do the oligarchs like your opinions? And right now they're pitching that as you are pro uh, solar. You are pro, pro Black Lives Matter Incorporated. You are pro-government telling people they have to buy products they don't want from companies they don't like at prices they can't afford for services they don't want or need or can't stand or might kill them. That's right now what their tastes are because using that, they get to cloak everything in good intent. They get to cloak the, the, the theft of rationality for good intent. So this is going to affect everything. Because they're they're certainly going to take the ESG score down to you. And next week with Zach Abraham, we're going to talk about that phenomenon. And what we're going to talk about is the ESG score and you when it comes to your credit card interest rate. I'm not kidding. Or more fundamental to most people because we can live without credit cards. Most people cannot live without, you can't have a house without financing it. The ESG score, the way it works is it goes to companies and says the reason you are going to have to pay a higher interest rate is because because you disagree with Black Lives Matter, you might get boycotted. Therefore, you're a risk because you don't agree with the teenage girl who says that we're facing a climate catastrophe. You might be boycotted or you might be sued because you ruined the planet. Therefore, you're a higher risk. Therefore, you don't get the half a percent interest rate or one and a half percent that Blackwater does. You pay seven percent or eight percent or 18 percent. And for 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 uh, people, human beings, you know what? We were looking at your social media. You're kind of a radical. This could mean that someone could dox your house or sue you or more fundamentally, it might mean you lose your job. Because right? we were looking here and you, you, you back cops, Blue Lives Matter. Man, you might get fired from your job. We see here that you you denied, you're a COVID denier. You refuse the injections. Now we can't give you credit. This it's not your Yeah, we see you pay your bills on time and that you've got a whole bunch of money, and that we see that you paid off two houses, but now we can't give you access to credit because you're a risk. You're a risky person. That's what's coming. That's part of the great reset. So but where do we exist today? You know, because incidentally, the Lord spoke a lot about money. Jesus spoke a lot about money and stewardship and wise investing. He did. He spoke about wise investing. Now, some of that was metaphorical. The Lord has given you gifts, the gift of life, the gift of food and and a family. And how are you using that gift? If you're using it to enrich yourself, well, then you've had your reward. Good, You know, good luck in the afterlife. Enjoy hell. If you are using it to build the kingdom and using it wisely and, and stewarding includes taking care of one's family, the primary, but are you also able to give to the poor? Are you able to give to the church? Are you able to be generous, like wildly generous if you have been wildly successful to, to those to whom as much, much is given, much is expected. But fundamental even to that goes to that first thing. Hey, are you housing your family? Are you taking care of your family? That's the goal. That's that's the tenant. That's the first thing. And the Lord spoke a lot about money. So in the great reset economy, I wanted to know how safe is home ownership? Is it even a good investment anymore? So, joining me to answer questions that I can't answer because I don't have his knowledge or his background, Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer of Bulwark Capital, joins us on the Todd Herman Show. Zach, welcome back. Hey, it's always good to be here, pal. Last week, we talked uh, the stock markets during the Great Reset or the the new wave. The, I call it the, the new wave for the new reality. And you... Availed me of the fact that uh, quantitative easing is conjuring, and I shared that with some people. I shared that with one of the smartest uh, women I know, and I asked her, I "said Define quantitative easing for me." And she sat there and said, "It's uh, well, they add quantity to ease." And I said, "I don't know." I said, "It's conjuring, and it's it's inventing money." And that blew a lot of people's minds. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, this investment, Zach. I think you're probably like me. I was told my whole life, uh, we talked land, but I was told my whole life, own a house. That's that's your financial security. Uh, what is the reality of this in the Great Reset?
1: I So first and foremost, I think that the reality is, is that um, you're going to need to be flexible. I, I, I think we're going to see wide... I Todd, I think the best way to say it is price volatility. And the reason I think you're going to see price volatility is because, and, and what I mean by that guys is just things going up and down, right? Think of last March, you know, you had the fastest 36% drop in history. Then you had a record. I think you're going to continue to see that because there's a lot of dead bodies for lack of a better term underneath the economic surface. There's a lot of debt. One of the p- things that people aren't paying attention to is last year you saw in a recession, record amounts of new debt on corporate balance sheets. This never happened before. We never increase leverage during recessions, right? So what, what we think that there are gonna be these deflationary scares, right? The last two weeks in the market are kind of like that. The Omicron variant comes out, people are worried about another lockdown, market starts tanking, oil drops 24%. So, you know, when we talk about energy, we talk about inflation, we talk about houses, I think you're gonna need to have a strong stomach. Okay, either that or you need to have an active manager or a hedging strategy of some kind to deal with it. But as it relates specifically to housing, um, you will see housing periodic weakness. And I think if that weakness gets exacerbated, I think you'll probably wanna step in there and be a buyer. And the reason for that is because, and you and I spoke a little bit about this last time, is that when you look at the structure of the global financial system, there is they have accumulated so much debt that they cannot quit intervening. So when these deflationary or, or price drop scares happen, right? When these economic scares happen, they're going to come to the quote unquote rescue because they have to, right? They, you can't let the, if you just let things go like traditional old America, you know, let the economy find its way. You would be looking at a great depression. The debt loads are too big and that debt, that debt has to default, right? It has to go away. Um, but they're not going to let that happen. And so I think you'll see the price volatility, but the reason that we love land or even again over the long term and, and and even commodities to a certain degree, energy, food, all you know, all that kind of stuff. And again, it'll be a bumpy ride, but their answer to every one of these problems is going to be relatively the same, which is you said it, conjuring more money, printing more money. We've been saying this for ten years, Todd, and what has happened in every single economic scare we've had in the last ten years. Fed comes rolling to the rescue every single time, right? Well, people like, well, one time they won't be able to come to the rescue and you go, no, they will. Cause they can just conjure money out of thin air. Well, w- w- they will reach a point though, like a rubber band, right? It reaches you. Oh, that thing can stretch to infinity. Well, no, it can't. And just because it hasn't broken yet doesn't mean it's right about, uh, you know, about ready to, but at some point you stretch that rubber band enough and it breaks. And that's when I think that real systemic inflation will, will really rise out of control. But but that would be incredible for things like land. Why? Because the supply of land is not going up. It's static. And yet the supply of money is going through the roof, right? And that doesn't mean there won't be soft spots in the market where land takes a twenty percent hit over a six month period of time. I'll be surprised that doesn't happen. But they will answer with what? Lower interest rates, more extreme monetary policy. You push interest rates lower. The price of land goes up. It really is that simple.
0: Okay. Does this explain then to some extent why uh, the really mobbed up firms and you may, you named some that I wasn't aware of, but I'm aware of BlackRock so mobbed up with the Fed that they basically conjure money, right? So does that explain the economic reason behind those guys using their conjured money to purchase real land and then turn it into rental property because, uh, and they're, they're creating rental only neighborhoods. And Mm -hmm. I look at that socioeconomically, Zach, where I'm not, I don't have your economic mind, but I look at this from a perspective of people who are trying to amass control over humanity. And man, imagine these neighborhoods that you you can't buy, but you you, want to live in because they're near employers. All of a sudden you have BlackRock saying, oh, you know what? We don't have Fox News in our neighborhoods and we don't have gun safes in our neighborhoods. And if you don't like that, go buy your own neighborhood. Um, And I can see that happening. But is an economic view of this then from the BlackRock perspective, they know this hyperinflation is going to come. So they want to use this conjuring to purchase real land with fake money because in the long haul they're seeing that the monetary supply is completely, completely polluted.
1: Yeah. I I think that's one way of looking at it. One of the things I always tell our clients is don't listen to what these guys say in interviews, watch their balance sheets, look what they're buying and selling, right? And they're buying at city blocks. Why is that? I mean, in a lot of ways you look at a house, it's a perfect inflation capture, right? It's land, it's wood, it's labor, right? It's fuel prices tar paper, you know, particle board, uh, uh, you know, metals, right? Steel, uh, aluminum, you know what I mean? You think all these things and, um, those things in relationship to financial assets. So looking at stocks and bonds and that's kind of what I was telling you last time is people think there's a bubble in land. I I just don't see it. I'm not even close because when you go compare those prices of land or houses, You look at the interest rate situation then you compare it to the extreme valuations you see in asset markets and taught everyone, right? Pokemon cards, baseball cards, comic books, collectible wine, vintage automobiles. I mean, you name it, right? Even pieces of code, people are making up and calling foul names and throwing out there, you know, worth billions of dollars. So, um, but, but you, so you compare the price of land and what it's done to the other financial assets out there. And it's, 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 I mean, it, it's crazy to me that people are asserting that that's in a bubble. So I, I think BlackRock sees that. The other thing is it's easy money for them, right? What, what is BlackRock's cost of capital? Okay, you and I go out and get a mortgage right now, it's gonna run us 3%. And, and one of the things we said on the last show is showing people how big of an impact interest rates have on your mortgage, right? So just the difference between a mortgage financed at three, okay, you can finance a mortgage at three for 400,000 and have a mortgage payment 20% below a $310,000 mortgage financed to six and a half percent. So it makes a big difference. Okay, well, if you and I are borrowing at 3%, I can tell you BlackRock is borrowing at not even half of that, okay? So it becomes just an arbitrage game where they can access capital cheaper than anybody else. So if they just sit on the home for two or three years, it's a guaranteed profit just by way of the interest rate arbitrage, right? They're renting it out and effectively, a rental price, right? Assuming free markets work, a rental price that probably is reflective of like a four and a half to 5% mortgage, right? That's probably what they're renting it out at. And yet that capital probably costs them half a percent, maybe less. Yeah. I, so go ahead. they win no matter what, right? So you're in a world of 0% bonds. They're making three to 4% on, on just the arbitrage between what they're renting it out and what they're what they're borrowing the money for, but then it's also an inflation capture. It's also an inflation hedge form, so they win both ways. Uh, you know, I can't think this way.
0: Uh, I, I mean, I can, because I hear you explain it. I understand arbitrage. You know, you know Zach, I play the game of digital arbitrage. I get that. It's, we're right. doing that today as we build the podcast numbers. It's digital arbitrage. What, you know, yep. uh, how, how much money do we have to spend to build an audience with God's money? And how much yep. money does God want us to spend of his money to build an audience. And thankfully, you know, our show grows because people share the show. Uh, but you know, when you're starting up, you have startup capital. So I get that. I just can't think of those cold number senses. And and I'm not, mm-hmm. you're not cold because God guides you. You've made it very clear that the Lord guides your investment decisions and in how you run your company. But I hear you talk about that. I don't think people really understand the degree to which this is fixed. In in the big cities like uh, the separate country of Seattle and the separate country of New York, there's this game called um, low-income housing where these really mobbed-up entities, somehow they become aware of where the choo-choo train's going to go. So somehow they get this information. Nobody knows how. um, And then they buy buildings along those lines before they're announced. And if they need more, then the government will come and seize those buildings. My favorite of these examples, and this guy actually beat them in court. In SeaTac, uh, Washington, which is down by the airport, there was a parking lot, and they tried to buy it from the guy. He didn't want to sell. I don't want to sell my parking lot. He's the guy who owns uh, salties and a bunch of other things, and mm. and the government came along and said, "Okay, well, we're going to take it from you." So they used eminent domain to take his parking lot. So then, the, when the train came in, guess what they book? Bu- the, what what the government um, they sold that to another entity. Guess what that entity put there, Zach? What they put there? A parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> they did the same thing with a hotel. I knew the owner. I used to work in this guy's hotel. I used to work. The, he used to make me work these insane four day shifts and I got overtime and such. That's fine. But I was up for four days. They went at him and they got his building and they got it at dimes on the dollar through eminent domain. They turned around and they sold it to a chain hotel. And what, 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 went there, a hotel. And they, then you get these low income housing things where they'll build low-income housing and they get tax subsidies for seven years. And then magically, seven years in, they turn around and those are luxury condos. And guess what? They don't have to change anything because they build these low-income housing units with luxury ingredients you talk to builders and they'll say it costs me more to build low income than to build a house in mercer island. they'll look at like features in people's you know bathrooms like what you want an electric mirror which is a great company by the way you want electric mirrors throughout the house of this low-income housing um we don't put that in homes in mercer island it goes in the master bedroom but nowhere else so right uh, zach i mean how fixed Outside of like individual properties, like we bought a home in Idaho, like how fixed is this at that level? And is there any level at which housing is now just a free market?
1: No, I so look, I, you know, I want to be very clear with people when I refer to these things as fixed markets. I do not believe that somebody at the Treasury or somebody and there's people that are going to be like, oh, that's because you're naive. That, that's fine. And, and I could be wrong but I do not believe that somebody at the federal reserve or somebody at the U S treasury is getting in and ramping up certain stocks and selling certain stocks down. So when I say a market is fixed, I'm not talking that kind of fixed. What I'm talking about is when you have a financial system that that flows off of a reserve currency, right? The U S dollar, and you control effectively the cost of that currency, right? Interest rate, you control the interest rate. Then you also by way of quantitative easing. So, you're not influencing the market, you're literally putting enough cash in the market to get it to read what you want it to read, okay? So you're influencing the cost of money and you're, you're controlling and influencing the cost of money and you're controlling and influencing the cost of debt. It reminds me of a, of a statement from Rothschild where he said, uh, you know, give me the power of the printing press and I care not who makes the rules, right? Meaning, you know, if, if I control the flow of capital, it doesn't matter what legislation you wanna pass right? Because if I control the flow of capital, I will usurp, you know, any legislation you've passed. And, you know, you look at the elites in this country and that's exactly what's happening. So the whole thing is fixed. Meaning the stock market shouldn't be here. Bond prices shouldn't be here. This isn't reality, right? Housing to me is not being directly manipulated. So I'd say that's a little bit different. It is because the Fed is buying mortgage-backed securities, but housing is more... Benefiting from their extreme, you know, their 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 extreme monetary policy, but it's all fixed, Todd. I mean, when you control the price of money and the price of debt, you control everything. Yeah. And so- if you and if you watch, you know, I think we will go down the road. I remember five years ago, I was saying that the next step in quantitative easing was was that the Fed would buy corporate bonds, corporate debt. And everybody's like, "No, they can't do that. That's against the rules." And I was like, "You know, the guys, the rules got burned in a way. Okay, so you got to wake up to that reality, right?" So, what they do, they bought it. Now I'm out, th- you know, now I'll sit there and say, look, I don't think this ends before they buy stocks. People go, why do you think that? Okay, well, I go back to Japan. The Bank of Japan started this process in the late 80s. They're just 20 years ahead of us. All right. The Bank of Japan now owns, they are a top 10 shareholder in 90% of ETFs in, in the Japan market. ETFs, so you got to j- tell people what that is ETF. It, a exchange traded fund, like a mutual fund. Right. Okay. Cause they say, Hey, we're not going to pick which individual stocks we want. Cause that would be us picking winners. So we're just going to buy the entire stock market. So now they're a top 10 shareholder in 90% of the listings on the, on the uh, Hong Kong stock on the, on the hang- or excuse me, the, uh, the Nikkei, the Nikkei, the Japanese stock index. So they're the largest shareholder uh, stocks. So I look at it and I go when the stock market isn't saying what the fed wants them to say, eventually they'll buy stocks too. So I, you know, but I don't even really think they need to at this point, because they've shown that they can control the stock market through other monetary actions. But when it becomes, you know, expedient for them to step in and push stock prices higher, they will. Why, I mean, why would you stop at corporates, right? Why would you stop there?
0: This is just so phenomenal to think of it this way that, I mean, literally if you're listening to the podcast as you're driving, Okay, because people put it in Bluetooth in their car. They listen like it's radio. And if you look at your gas meter right now in your car, and it's not what you want it to read, uh, if you're the Fed, you just conjure gas, right? Oh, yeah. You, you just, you say, hey, uh, fill up. And all of a sudden, now your gas tank reads full. But, and it's not even that much different because eventually you're talking about the, the rubber band snapping. Reality comes into play. China says, hey, you know what? Actually, we do want some of our money So we have all these things hanging up our head. So I'm hearing from you that having a house, even if it's on a mortgage, that sounds like almost if there is such a thing as safe harbor, albeit, you know, unless there's a bad flu. Because if there's a bad flu, then all the rules are off and you may not own your house because they may need to park people in your house in violation of the Constitution. But again, the flu voids everything, as you know. Well, but- for social justice purposes, Todd, <laughs> that's all they okay. can, right? Good. I want, I want to make sure we're clear on that. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it almost sounds like housing is uh, sort of uh, a, a safe harbor or a free-ish market. But given the caveat that the Fed owns and controls the stock market, and the money supply, But it sounds safe harbor-ish.
1: Yeah, it is, and like I said, especially if you can deal with the volatility. One of the things that we've been talking to our clients a lot about: we have some pretty big energy positions in our clients' portfolios, and um, for a variety of reasons, if you're if you are also if you see the potential like we do in the long run for energy, I think there's some big big fireworks that could happen in the short run, but we've got to think longer term. Um, I've explained it to our clients like this, guys. There's two different kinds of risk. There's volatility risk, which we were talking about earlier, prices going up and down a lot. Or there's financial risk. Okay, one of the tough things about cycles like this, or being at the top of peak cycles, is that oftentimes market prices are telling you the opposite thing. Okay, so it looks like this stuff over here is the safest stone, and it's usually never the way it is it's the, you know, when you get to market peaks. an example of this is in 1999 in the tech bubble, uh, the NASDAQ was up by, I believe 101% in 1999 alone. Okay. Berkshire Hathaway run by Warren Buffett was down 25%, right? S and P's I like got up like 50 NASDAQ doubles, Berkshire Hathaway's down 25%. How many people sold Berkshire Hathaway and jumped into the NASDAQ? Tons. Okay. What happened? The NASDAQ lost 83% top to bottom and Berkshire Hathaway went on its best 10 year, one of its best 10 year runs in record. And that's typical. And that's why it's so hard that at the tops, you, you know, you get into environments like this, you really have to avoid the short term noise cause it's going to point you in exactly the wrong direction, right? It's going to point you into the stuff that is peaking, not the, you know, we, we always say it, get in times like this, it makes you throw away what you're about to need. To buy something you should have previously bought, right? So you're like you're getting it backwards. But I look at housing. If you can get over the volatility, um, you know. Again, you look at what they're doing. You look at what they have to do monetarily. And if they took their take their foot off the gas, the whole thing comes apart. They're not going to do that. And I think a house is one of the best ways to insulate yourself from that from that storm. All
0: right. So next week, uh, Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer of uh, Bulwark Capital, uh, we're going to talk about the ESG score. Environment, social ah, justice, yeah. and governance. Okay, folks, um, and i got to give credit where credit's due. I learned about this from Glenn Beck. And Glenn is one of the guys in radio who will talk about things that are not to be discussed. And I've always mm-hmm. respected that about Mr. Beck. And so as I've been researching the ESG score, and I grew to understand it's being used. I mean, this is real. I've talked to executives yep. whose companies um, are big in Japan. And, and I just had a talk with a guy who has his major manufacturing comes out of Japan. He's, he's the major shareholder. He's in the, um, he's in the music industry. I'll put it that way. And he told me his board said, Hey, here, we have to use ESG. And that's the way it's going to be like, and, and the government's going to, going to cause it to happen. Now, this guy's smart. He said, well, we'll define our terms of ESG. It starts there. And then it goes down into buildings, where people live are going to be rated for their mm-hmm. ESG score. Now, mm-hmm. where I see this going, Zach, and we'll talk about this next week, but I'll just ask you, do you think it's outside the realm of possibility that there is a personal ESG score? In other words, Hey, did you want to borrow money to buy a house? Well, okay, that's fine. But we need to check on your personal ESG score. Do you have your head right on the environment, social justice, and governance? Because if not, you're a risk your risk of being attacked or doxxed or being fired from your job. Because if you don't have, if your head's not right, you could get fired from your job. So we're going to need 7% from you. But if you've got your head on right and you're with the party, then you can get that 3% interest rate. Does that sound like madness to you?
1: Oh, it sounds like absolute madness, but it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, that's essentially exactly what's happening in China. Um, and the crazy thing is when you look at what China's doing in their economy right now, in some ways they're more capitalist than we are now. Um, no, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all, Todd. And this whole ESG thing is, is, it, it is a scam. It is a wall street scam that's being run on main street. And, um, basically you're going to get subpar investment performance and high fees, uh, you know, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but I mean, well, yeah, I mean, look, picking out investments for financial purposes is hard enough. When you're not even looking at the financials, good luck, right? And that's basically what it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's, like, an, it's, a, it's like a socialist, uh, uh, you know, environmental litmus test that we're judging companies by uh, and not paying attention to the underlying. And then the funny thing is, is when you start running companies through their ESG funnel, seeing the companies that come out with, and I don't want to blow the top, but seeing the companies that come out with the highest ESG scores, let's just put it this way, it, I, it'll give everybody a good chuckle
0: okay so next week uh, Zach will will go through what the ESG score means and I'm particularly interested in it rolling down to us because it's already happening uh, because it's going to be in your 401ks etc so how do people get in touch
1: with you at Bulwark Capital my friend you can uh, follow us on Twitter at KYR Radio. Also go to dot uh, knowyourriskradio.com. You can sign up for the podcast there. It comes out once a week. We've got a couple of really awesome interviews coming out in the next week and a half. And um, yeah, contact us, email us, give us a call. And happy to hear from you. I've already already ran into several of your listeners. They're great people, man. really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Awesome. So, All right, Zach Abraham, my brother, go with God's good grace. Hey, you too, pal. Have a good one and get better. Yes, thank you. Yeah, just on that topic, I just about got I think I got twenty-five percent of the packing out of my beak today. And the the doctor just said the rest is too dry. That's just an update. We'll gross you out. You can write to us at the And I got a really challenging email from a guy. And listen, I get it, I get I listen, I'm really am thankful for the email support we've gotten. <laughs> we've gotten. I can't blame my sinuses on saying we getting I can't even say that's an Idaho thing. Cause it's not that we getting, we getting some emails that we get, have gotten received, been in receipt thereof. And I really appreciate those. And they mean the world to me. And so do emails like this. They really do. I'm, I'm, I, I like the feedback. This is from Gordy. Todd, I've listened to you over the past year. When you had your radio show on KTTH, I quit listening because of the way you mocked people. Uh, when I found out you were going to do a political podcast from a biblical perspective, I thought, I'll give this guy another shot. I was listening a few weeks back, and you were giving an example of how would you you would talk to someone about the virus. I don't remember exactly what you said, but I do remember you said you would tell someone, I'm bored with the virus. Do you know about this uh, or that? It was very condescending. It seemed unfeeling. I live in Flint, Michigan. I personally know many people who've been seriously ill with COVID. I think it's incumbent upon us as Christians to take a middle-of-the-road approach to this virus. In other words, inform people the facts we have, but don't ridicule people for not believing the facts we have. The fact is, there's a lot of information out there that can back up any view we have. For me, many others, and many others out there, it's hard to know what to believe. One source says this, another source says that. For this reason, in my opinion, we have to exercise extreme grace towards those we may influence. This is because our primary goal is to win people to Christ, no matter who they are. You're one of my favorite talk show hosts, but unfortunately, I find myself unable to listen because of your tone sometimes. My intention in writing is not to be critical, but rather in hopes you will moderate your tone, not your information, so I can listen and recommend your show to others. Sincerely, Gordy from Flint, Michigan. Uh, thanks for the note, Gordy. I appreciate that. That's I, I feel like you put a lot of thought into that, and I did send you a response. Uh, the 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 episode you reference, what I was talking about was in being around media catastrophists. It's just today you you have uh, the University of Washington in the separate country of Washington State uh, saying, "Oh, we're going to go to all we're going to go to all virtual classes because of Omicron." Okay, uh, Gordy, with due respect to you, there is no way to read Omicron other than it's a cold because the numbers are stark and clear. It carries one twelfth the rate of death of the previous variants, one twelfth. That includes people who are dying with the virus, not from it. It is so mild that in South Africa, pardon me, South America, no, it is South Africa. In South Africa, it is already in decline. The cases of it are already in decline. Um, The people who are sick with it who get sick with it are almost uniformly, as in ninety percent of the time, people who've been injected with the mRNA injections. Th- those numbers are not—they're not, not fudgable, right? So in that way, what I'm talking about is responding to a Fauci. Well, I think and he said this. I don't think you should not have um, a holiday event uh, with 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 uh, with more than thirty nine people. What? Now, in mocking this, and in mocking that response, this is where I would say, oh, Tony, I'm so bored with this." Have, have you heard about the fact that that our southern border is completely wide open? Have you heard about the fact that that China has become belligerent and is in fact um, now has the ability to deliver an EMP burst above our shores using a supersonic weapon that can get here in a you know a couple of minutes? The reason I suggest that, uh, Gordy, is because. The party war game. This and and again, this is not this isn't a debatable thing. And middle of the road doesn't mean to me that we ignore facts that are really brutal. And these are this is a brutal fact. The party paid did a Yale study. The CDC used Yale to study four thousand human beings, and they tried a matrix approach. How do we con people? Blackmail, shame, uh, charm, lie to, cajole. Uh, pressure, threaten. What do we have to do to get everybody to take these injections? And they were looking at human responses. The one response that they didn't study was was mine. Well, I'm sure there are others that they didn't study, but, but one that they didn't study is boredom. People just saying, oh man, I'm so bored with this. Now, to your point, yeah, I'm not going to say to someone who has COVID, oh, I'm really bored, guys. we just had a family member have COVID and she's fairly young. Well, she's in my comparison to me, she's a child, but she's fairly young and she's really pretty healthy and it was scary for her. And so we said, Hey, we're praying for you. And, And we sent her the early treatment kit or access to it. Hey, here's the things you can do for early treatment. I've done that with everybody who's ever had COVID. We've had the early treatment people on and I, and we've talked about, how serious it can be for people who are obese or people who are really deficient in vitamin D now, by way of your greater point of being to draw people to Christ, indeed. Yes. And oftentimes that's done with kindness. And it's also done by being very direct. Tony Fauci a liar and he's getting people killed and he's, and he is involved in my judgment in at least negligent homicide. And in regard to not knowing what to believe, I would just ask you this core question, my friend. Do you believe we have an immune system? And if you believe we have an immune system, then just understand that the World Health Organization is is pretending that we don't. That is literally something they're pretending, that human beings don't have immune systems. And then that just leads to the question of why would they pretend such a thing? That doesn't make any sense. Why Why would they pretend that? Because they're liars. And because they intend to con everybody into taking these injections, that's ungodly. To lie about God's work is ungodly. It is to deny God created immune systems. So I do agree with you, Tony, is very important. And I see your point on, on the segment where I expressed my tactic in dealing with climate or probably COVID catastrophists. I hope you can see mine when I'm saying that's not the way to deal with human beings on a greater run right, under a more general sense. But I do appreciate the note very, very much. And Flint, you guys got completely raked by the party. And, and your city council's the one that did the thing to your water. And anyway, so I, I, could get, I could talk Flint, Michigan all day long. Greg, okay, okay, good for putting this up front. Greg from an anonymous city in western Washington, I loved your KTTH show. I'm listening to you now on podcast. Please put a link to realnotrare.com on your website. I went there for the first time today after hearing you mention it in yesterday's podcast. I worked in law enforcement and conducted investigations for more than 40 years. Despite being a grizzled law enforcement veteran, I cried at some of the videos of the Real Not website. For people suffering catastrophic side effects from the COVID injections. You could get the word out on the adverse COVID injection side effects even more effectively by putting a link to the website in your homepage. Just food for thought. It was not. If I was not retired, I would have been one of those fired for not taking the mandatory COVID injection, which is certainly not a vaccine. I start every day with a modification of your prayer by thanking God for allowing me to live another day in this time in which he's chosen me to live. Please keep up your fine work, Then I wish you a speedy recovery from your nose surgery. Thank you, brother, for doing God's work. Thank you, brother, for staying alive, doing very dangerous work there's going to be a, a reckoning there's going to be a spiritual reckoning i firmly guarantee that god almighty is going to call to account people who went through this scheme and and pushed these injections on people and got them hurt and killed because there are a bunch of them who know exactly what's going on my nightmare is this there's going to be a reckoning for the people who are staying silent as you do to the least of these, so you do to me. As you do to the least of these, so you do to me. So if if Jesus, the little baby, came into your doctor's office and the Lord decided to manifest himself as a little baby and you're a doctor or you're a caregiver, you're a nurse, and the parents come in and say, should we inject the new baby Jesus with the mRNA? And you know it's wrong. And you know that there is no mathematical scenario in which a child benefits from this, that they're far more likely to be harmed, do you say, yeah, 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 do it? Do you stay silent? Now, I am not the one who hands out recompense from the Lord. Thank goodness, because my, 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 my reasoning is not God's. And because I need redemption every single day. But something tells me, If in your professional judgment, you know this stuff is harming people. If in your professional judgment, you know hospitals are pretending people died from COVID when in fact they died from from anything but because they get cha-ching money from Fauci. If you know these things and you're remaining silent... I wonder how many of the least of these have been harmed. And I get that it's scary. I left a really high paying job to do this. And I do trust in the Lord. And it's going to turn around And I I trust in the Lord and the, and the relationship that you and I have. I do. I, I trust in this. Because I believe God brought it together. So I do understand it's hard to leave or to speak out. But I ask you to look forward. Just cast your eyes forward to the day when you sit at the throne of judgment. Because if you are in your mind saying... This, these, these shots are harming people. I've seen too many people collapse. I've had to call too many ambulances into my into where we shoot people up. I've seen too many EMTs come in. I've seen too much anaphylactic shock. I've seen too many people drop over within you know, an hour of getting these injections. I've had too many phone calls from families saying, what did you do to my loved one? They had the injection and now they're in the hospital and they've got stroke. what did you do to my kid? And What'd you do to me? And you're getting these phone calls and you know this, God knows you know. Right? It's not Santa who sees you when you're sleeping. It's the Lord. And he's stronger than they are. And he'll have your back. And I hope that more people will stand because they have to. Got two hours in today. Didn't get through a full personal note. We're getting it back. It's coming back. I'm told the full packing now comes out Tuesday out of my beak. I do appreciate all your prayers. This is the Todd Herman Show. You can write to us at show.com. Please do go be well, be strong, be kind, and most of all, please do be right with God.